finally got your first leadership gig, loving the new role, but feeling the pressure of your new responsibilities and all that expectation to perform, well, don't worry, you're not alone. Crossing the chasm from a technical role to leadership, from doing stuff to managing and leading people is the toughest challenge any leader must make. Welcome to the Human Edge Show, the podcast dedicated to help you do just that, successfully cross the doing to leading chasm. Campbell Such here, Chief Chasm Crossing Guide. I've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. I want to help you learn those lessons much more easily by sharing my experiences and talking with brilliant people who have already figured it out. You'll get great actionable tips, strategies and techniques to make the transition so much easier and faster for you. Now let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Human Edge Show. Today, I'm super excited to have with me Stefan Preston. Stefan is an active entrepreneur and company director. In his early career as CEO, he successfully led several significant New Zealand retail and consumer companies, including Whitcalls, Noel Leeming, Bond and Bond, and Bendon. Stefan worked with Stanford D School, IDEO, and many other leading innovators to play an active role, an active part in the development of programs to improve New Zealand company innovation capability. Stefan remains an energetic participant in NZ Inc, having recently designed and developed the Fresh Thinking Initiative at NZTE, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Stefan founded Meaningful Technology to focus on the application of semantic web technologies to unify enterprise data into a single knowledge store and integrate enterprise applications. Stefan is an advisory board member of the NZTE Beachheads program. He holds a a BE Honours from Auckland, Bachelor of, Engineering, Bachelor of Engineering Honours from Auckland, and an MBA from Stanford. Welcome to the Human Edge Show, Stefan. It's fantastic to have you on board. Thanks, Campbell. Look, just to, um, just to kick off, what's something that, uh, that not many people would know about you? Oh, yeah, I don't talk about this a huge amount, but um, I'm getting to the point in my career where I, I want to do things that are a little bit different, so I'm training... Um, with a mentor um, to be a captain of a uh, ocean-going vessel, um, and uh, I plan to be away on my own ocean-going vessel for three years, um, starting next year. And uh, we're just doing three-month trips at the moment from New Zealand. So, uh, yeah, and I'm really enjoying it, and it's super challenging. And um, you know, it's the kind of adventure you can do when you're uh, north of 55. <laughs> And is what sort of vessel is it, Stefan? Is it sailing? Is it powered? What, what's the? It's actually powered. It looks like a little frigate. Uh, it's sixty-eight feet long. Wow. Um, it's kind of one of eighteen vessels in the world that's specially designed for long, safe, and comfortable passage making. Wow, awesome. Oh, well, that sounds like exciting times coming up uh, coming up for you. So, uh, and a bit more study, so learning some new things, um, and, yeah. and challenging yourself. Yeah, I just I always think it's good to. Um, you know, every sort of 10 years, you've got to completely throw everything out and change your life. Otherwise, when you get to the end of your life and you wouldn't even know that it passed, would you? Because every day was the same. You wouldn't really remember it. But if you do different things all the time and challenge yourself, it seems like you live five to 10 lives, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. And it's certainly, uh, you know, as you go through your life, if, if every day is the same, time seems to fly. And when you do new things, um, go on a vacation, go and take something on that you've never done before, it, uh, time seems to slow down and, and you, you know, you get a whole lot more of a sense of, uh, of accomplishment and, and time going on. Stefan, just um, stepping back into your long and successful career, 
Can you remember your first steps into leadership and the sorts of challenges that you had at the time, how you felt, and perhaps some of the, the mistakes that you made at the time that you would uh, that you might do differently? Yeah. I might just hold that thought and just start for a, for a second and just tell you what I think leadership actually is. Because I think it's one of those kind of words which people say and oftentimes have a different view of what it is, right? So I think for me, the question is about this word influence, right? We, in a workplace, we work in teams and what we do is we seek to influence people to act in alignment toward an objective, right? And um, so I think there are principally two ways how you can influence people. And the first one is just compliance, right? You say like, do that or I'm going to fire you. And look, honestly, that's just way more efficient than what I call leadership for certain things, right? Like if you wanted to get someone to wear a name badge in a store, you don't say, oh, look, you know, let's go and, you know, I'll try and influence you in some sort of kumbaya way. It's easier just to say, well, it's a mandatory requirement to do it. If you don't do it, I'm going to fire you after three warnings, right? So it's easy to get compliance if you just put the line in the sand and actually measure the behaviours and, and, um, and sanction them if they're not there. But that, that works for stuff that's super easy to measure. And, you know, that's what I call table stakes, kind of management table stakes, you know. Leadership's different. Leadership is a way of influencing people which seeks to get people to want the same thing as what you want from their own intrinsic motivation, right? And so the ingredients of that is, is that you need to be able to state clearly what success looks like and what good behaviours are. And then you need to be able to um, enrol people into wanting the same thing. So, you know, part of leadership is just selecting people who just already happen to want the same stuff as what you do. But also there's a certain amount of influence and inspiration that goes with it as well. So that's how I think of leadership, right? So to answer your question, in the early part of my career, you know, my concept of, you know, I'm very task efficient personally, you know, I'm lucky I got born with a smart brain and, you know, I do things really quickly. And so task efficiency is something that people are really good at their technical side of their skill set in their early career. Task efficiency almost blinds you to your power as a leader, right? Because you're so capable, you just do it yourself. And um, it's almost like painful to have to deal with the fact that other people can't do it as quickly or as well or whatever. And, you know, so if I had to say what my fault was early in life, it was just basically that I was an asshole. <laughs> and in the sense that I really didn't have any empathy for the experience that other people had around me, right? So I'm just a super task-efficient guy. But... The problem with being task efficient, it doesn't matter how task efficient you are, eventually you run out of bandwidth because it's only just you, right? So if you want to advance in your career and get paid more money and be more senior and have more interesting things to do, you eventually you've got to figure out how do I get loads of other people around me to want what I do and to be able to kind of do a version of that um, to give me leverage, right? And I... The, the kind of the scales dropped from my eyes when I did a course um, a couple of weekends um, 
to the course. But the course was sort of the first course was kind of like, let's understand the kind of person you are because of how you got born and all that kind of instinctive shit that you do to be who you are without really being conscious about it. And then the second course was about, well, now you understand all the crappy low-rent behaviours that you have as an instinctive human, let's now think about how we consciously choose our behaviour and choose our way of being so that we can have more power as a leader, right? And that requires you to ask yourself the question of who are you? Like, what are you trying to do in the world? And, of course, that's a super open-ended question, isn't it? Like, who the hell are you? Most people can't even answer it. I'd say 95% people can't answer that simple question. And the way you answer it is you've got to really get present to a passion that you have in your life, whether it's at work or home time or whatever. But most people get into a thing called flow. And flow is just when your life is just wickedly cold, right? And you've got to really ask yourself, like, why did I feel that way? And when you answer that question, you ask yourself, why did I, you know, why about that? And why, 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 why? Until you get down to it. And for me, it was a realisation that actually the happiest I am is when I'm helping people. And in particular, when I'm helping people in the environment where we're building something, whether it's building a house or building a, a um, building and, you know, it was no accident that I was in the construction industry early in my career. I used to love that. And, um, and then building companies. And to me, building companies is probably the most challenging thing a human could do, right? There's so many variables, very large amount that you can't control. Um, and so it's just incredibly dynamic, very stimulating, and, and you have to be challenged and, and be engaging as a human to do it, right? So um, you can train to be a leader, and you know, I kind of got some training, but what it really made me present to is just being able to consciously choose my behaviour in a situation and um, be able to have be present for other people and understand and be empathetic to them. And when you get that, what happens is it vastly increases your power. So if you're doing public speaking or talking in a room, whatever, um, because you're you're fundamentally centred outside yourself and you're interested in the other person's experience and you're really listening. And that's the thing about great leaders is they appear to be very engaged and listening and very caring about the other people. It's actually a very generous thing. And um, But, of course, it's super hard to be that way when you're just kind of wrapped up in your own concerns and worried about how you look and, you know, all these things kind of make yourself look good. There's <laughs> no way to look good being a leader. You can't do it that way. It's not really yeah. Uh, Stefan, that's um, that's fascinating. You, you talked before about um, uh, influence, and so compliance versus influence were kind of the two key things. If I if I got you right, and um, one of the things that you talked about enrollment, both of them are set to influence people. Compliance and enrollment. Yeah. So early in your career, you were very presumably there was a lot of compliance to, to what you did, as opposed to the enrollment piece. And then over time, perhaps after some of that, getting to know who you were piece that happened, um, some of those kind of doors opened up and you saw the value of those things. What would you advise for a new leader who's, you know, come from a task-oriented 
technical ex area of expertise where they've got this toolbox of stuff that when they try and go up the hill of leadership, that toolbox is pretty much got not too many tools in it that, that they need to be to be a really good leader. Where do you start to, to A, understand, is it the right thing for you as to be a leader as opposed to going down the technical path? And then once you've worked out that's what you, you do and that if you, if you know, um, having this, this sense of it's about helping other people, how do you then start to build your toolbox of tools to, to head down that path? I think the first thing is um, you've got to acknowledge that there is such a thing as leadership, like it's it just as, as there is such a thing as your technical competence, right? But let's say you're I don't know, a really good hardware engineer and you've got screwdrivers and tools and, and um, knowledge and networking and all these good things, right? And, and it seems very tangible to you, right? And so... What you um, will do if you don't acknowledge that there is a set, a set of, like a legitimate skill set that's kind of a people-oriented skill set about influencing people through leadership, if you don't acknowledge that, then what happens is you go back to your comfort state, right? So um, your comfort state is being really technically competent. So what you're going to do is, like, you know, to, the, um, to a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail, right? So if you're a technically competent one, what's going to happen is you're going to, you know, um, dominate other people by just being a smarter technician. And some people will respond to that, right? There'll be a small percentage of people who work for you, particularly the competent ones. They'll just like that because they'll feel like they're in a club. And that's cool. You know, it's kind of accidental leadership, right? But it'll unravel in most circumstances. You won't be very effective, right? The first thing is just acknowledge it. And then the question is, like, how can I rapidly increase my skill set? And one of the first things I can say is find a leader that you admire and you believe has really advanced skill sets and get them to mentor you. So being curious and reaching out to other people who know what you don't know um, is a really, really good way of learning, right? Um, for me, probably the most transformative experience I had, well, I mentioned I did this course before. Um, man, I was like only two weekends of my life. And even to this day, it's transformed my thinking and power in the world. And, um, and you can just go and do the course in just about any city in the world. And it's called Landmark. And it, literally, this is the thing about it. People think it's like a cult. It's so transforming for some people and other people it's like, you know, they freak out, it's a cop. There's nothing like that at all. It's just literally a course for two weekends. But they'll make you do some super uncomfortable things to grow. And this other thing I want to say about leadership is fundamentally great leadership is about emotional growth. And, you know, like they'll make you ring up like people in your life that you've had lifelong feuds with and, you know, family members you haven't said sorry for X and Y and all this kind of thing. It's all exercises about generating a muscle um, and getting away from the kind of incentive behaviours that make you lose power as a leader and giving you some tool sets and powers as a personal leader. So I'll tell you what, when you go through that kind of growth, um, it gives you an entirely different lens on the book. I'll just relate an exercise that got me to do which really transformed me. 
This is at Landmark, Stefan. They made me go out on the street on a rainy day in the middle of the city and ask 10 people, 10 requests that I'm certain they'll say no to. Now, for me, that was like mega uncomfortable, right? I hate being rejected. And, but I went out there and nine out of 10 people said yes, and I just blew me away. Wow. And this is the thing, if you want to lead, you know, part of the idea of leading is you get there first, right? You, you create the chance, you create the goal, set the goal, and you commit to it, and you do whatever it takes to get there. And oftentimes what it takes to get there is you need to ask people things that are unreasonable. And, you know, I once worked with a pretty great entrepreneur and I couldn't believe the sort of shit he's getting people to do for him. But the thing is he just said, I just ask and they do it. And like that, he was just had a really strong muscle in that area. And, um, man, you, the thing is you, you, the best learning you can do is learn by doing. So we need a white or some podcast or whatever. But I guarantee you if you if you aren't good at asking people for what you need to succeed, then if you go and do that exercise, it will blow you away and change you forever. And that's what I like about courses like that, is that they force you to do things you wouldn't otherwise do. And that's where the true learning is, right? So learning by doing it changes you emotively, it gives you sets new boundaries you never had before. So I think there are a few golden lessons to learn, and if you can learn them efficiently like that in two weekends, then more power to you, right? But what you have to be is super curious and willing to lay yourself on the line to do it. And um, not many people are. That's the thing. You know, amazingly, 90% of us are essentially not curious at all, not willing to make ourselves uncomfortable or try something risky or something to learn something new. And that's why most of us aren't really good. They're just more comfortable being the sheep in a pattern. Yeah. yeah. So, going back to your to your early leadership role, um, was that a decision that someone else made and said, "Hey, Stefan, here's something you should try," or was it something that you actively sought out and yeah, so and went after? When I was twenty-two, no, mate. No, I was probably. 25, 26, maybe something like that. I was working in construction and I worked in New Zealand and then I went, I went offshore and I was a, like a project engineer for construction, you know, jump forms and automated construction and stuff. So kind of the heavy weight into construction. And the project manager I worked for was like an amazing leader, like super effective, and, but kind of in that butt-kicking way, you know, um, Potentially abrasive to non-performers. Um, I don't. I think he was just uh, like one of those people that just naturally can get shit done with, with a good team, you know. But I nevertheless learned a lot of him. And then he got there was a big project in town that was stuffed up by another contractor, and they got us in to fix it. And he went over there to sort that out. So I ended up running this. $90 million construction for a thousand guys working on it. And uh, we're spending a million dollars a week, which is a lot in 1989 or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, they gave me this, like, much older, like 62-year-old foreman 
Um, so the foreman is the guy that does the kind of real hands-on telling people what to do and the project manager, that's me, is sort of in charge of everybody, including that and all the subcontractors. And, um, and I was green as the trees, right? But I think highly respected as well because, you know, as a performer and um, uh, the older foreman guy, you know, he just gives you those the benefit of those lessons learned by decades of working, you know. And I remember one time I was getting a bit worried about progress and stuff and I was like, you know, what do you think? We'd probably get a bit more resource on. And he's like, no, let's take 10% out. So I have this debate with him and, you know, we go, we had this big side office looking into this 10-storey hole and, uh, um, you know, there was like levels of underground car park being built. And... Um, and we looked out there and he said, have a look at everyone on the construction platform and count how many people are actually working right now. And sure enough, you know, about 30% of the people that were just yakking to each other. Like, at least take 10 out, that'll just wait attention and get everyone focused, right? And sure enough, you know, we took 10 out, we increased our performance by 20%. <laughs> but, you know, I think the thing is, is you don't always do your learning from you know, you'll naturally try and get a mentor as somebody you want to be in the future kind of thing. But if you're really good at learning and growing and being curious, you can listen to everyone. And you know, I'm listening to this guy who's working for me. And his, everyone's view of the world is different than your view. Even when you're CEO of a company, the person that works in the, in the you know, janitorial services, they're going to see a piece of your company you can never see. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you do have to be effective as a leader, but a drill down to micro detail. And you also have to, you know, keep an eye on the strategy and overall structure of things. But I often find the transformation is selective digging to that tiny detail. And it often comes from people you'd never think of to talk to, you know, because they see things you don't see. so, so what when you were CEO of Bendon Whitcalls, what did you do to give yourself the best chance of hearing and seeing that stuff that was at the front line or at the janitorial level or at the you know the, the lower levels in seniority anyway in, in the organisation? Because so many senior leaders end up being isolated from all of that stuff, and people end up telling them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. What do you do to make sure that that stuff happened for you? Yeah. One of the really cunning workarounds for that was um, hiring an, an assistant who, and I don't like executive assistants, so I think they're wasteful and, you know, I don't need them really, except for we had one who was nominally kind of there to support the senior team administratively, right? But she's incredibly gregarious and talks to everyone in the company. And I'm not that kind of person, you know, I mean, fundamentally, I'm not that interested in hanging out and shooting the breeze with people in my team. And I'm very task-oriented, just who I am. So I know that weakness, right? So I get someone who's super gregarious, I build a really great relationship with them, and then they build great relationships right through the thing. And then what that does is give this pressure release valve, right? So she's tapped into everything that's happening. So, for example, let's say one of the staff, their, their mum dies or something, it's really tough for them, but they're not really talking heavily about it. She'll know. 
and I'll be there sending the flowers just at the right time and just the right way with the right messaging, you know, or somebody's birthday and it will look like I literally know everything that's known about that life and that person and everything else. And the thing is, like, practically in a company spread over four or five countries by the time I was finishing it with 500 people working for it, practically I can't possibly be connected into that sort of thing. But by figuring out a positive way to build connection to people really efficiently like that, I was able to be that person, you know, that, that almost has a personal connection with everyone in the organisation. Um, and it's not like the fact that I don't want to spend all my time doing that or can't or not even that good at it doesn't mean I don't care, but I've got to enable myself and be able to be at the right place in my time in a very efficient way, right? Yes. And that's kind of my cheat sheet on that. But my my um, overall, uh, I guess, recommendation is that you need to work out a way to be the kind of person that knows everybody's name. You know, like you, I, I'm absolutely crap at it. You got to work really hard at it. Try to do some memory games or whatever. But I can tell you the power of knowing people's names, knowing what they do, and valuing them at a personal level. Man, that's going to get you fifty percent of the way just right there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's all. It's awesomely powerful. I um, the guy that. Uh, uh, ran um, my was my boss's boss at Bid Food. Um, he had that awesome power, and he wouldn't just remember my name; he'd remember my wife's name, yeah. and he'd remember the last three conversations he had. And normally, you know, Andy had a great sense of humour as well, so he could take the piss. So it was, um, it was, and it was incredibly powerful, and it brought brought people together. So you know, I fully understand that. And, and the and the other piece that you talked about about recognising your I'm a big believer in working out what your strengths are, which are things that you love to do and that you're good at. Yeah. Or maybe it's the other way around, that you're good at and love to do because some things you're really good at, but you actually hate doing them. So why would you want to do them, right? And if you work out what your real strengths are or your weaknesses, and then you do more of that stuff and find out, find other people who have got the strengths to do the things that you, that aren't your strengths, like your, for want of a better term, executive assistant, that's a really powerful thing to, to recognise as, as a leader, right, is to be able to build a team that fills in the gaps that you that you know you're weak in. Yeah, I mean, that thing is called self-awareness, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the reason it's difficult for people to have self-awareness is because they don't want to confront what they're weak at. But somehow um, a lot of people, to feel good and confident in the world, they need to believe in the story of themselves as a sort of superpower. You know, they can and the reality is it's just impossible. The more you grow as a leader and the more span of control you have and the complexity that's in, you know, you, you, this idea of control and dominance, it's like impossible. Yeah. And so you've got to get your confidence intrinsically, not extrinsically. And a lot of people get their confidence extrinsically, like by through recognition or people saying they're really good or whatever, having a badge or a title or whatever. Um, the only way you can really have confidence intrinsically is to be super humble about yourself and not, not find it uncomfortable that you don't know. Like it's actually a relief, people in the room, when you say, look, you know, I have a view, but it might not be the right view. 
simply because like clearly I can't have all the knowledge. And so that means, hey, as someone who can listen to me, and I'm going to be encouraged to tell them the realities because they're not, they're actually truly interested in learning and growing, you know. Um, plus, when you see that your leader isn't perfect, doesn't know everything, it's um, also more empowering for you because you feel like you can contribute more. And if you can contribute more, you get more knowledge. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's absolutely right. Stefan, um, in your in your senior leadership roles, what is there anything that you've seen around? Well, one of the biggest challenges that we have in leadership is making that first step out of a technical role, whatever that looks like, into a leadership role. And there's a big chasm to cross. And there's you know all the learnings that we talked about before that you have to go through and self awareness and start to build empathy and and all of that stuff. But someone's put them in that role, which is their you know their boss, if you like. Um, and what happens with a lot of uh, a lot of leadership positions that get filled either from internal appointments or brought in externally, they end up being thrown in the deep end and it's sink or swim. What have you seen in your life, in your leadership life and in your life that's really made it, uh, that's been really powerful from the point of view of the leader's leader who's put them in that role to really help them succeed and give them the best chance of minimising the you know failure and, and then being able to accelerate up that hill of leadership and, and success? I feel like I can contribute to that conversation quite powerfully because one of the, the my real core interests these days and being for the last 15 years is how do you grow organisations very efficiently and effectively from New Zealand to international market, right? And I've been a, a, a kind of a pioneering advisor inside NZT on TE on it and been working with like a thousand plus companies in terms of creating programs that have impact on that. And one of the greatest issues we've got is leadership, obviously, because um, you know, if we have great entrepreneurial leaders, then we can grow companies and solve all the problems and everything else. So having a deficit of leadership is actually a really big issue for us. And I've, um, we've started this program called Fresh Thinking, which is like a two or three hour session that the subject of which is the explicit design of the organisation and the target is obviously the CEOs and directors of the company. And, um, you know, I spent, I've spent i done 250 of these things and as a prototype and constantly iterated them and learned a lot about it, right? And the first thing, um, you know, this, this idea of mentorship, um, you can have an extraordinary transformational impact on people as a mentor, okay? Um, but I want to start with the first and greatest mistake that's made by mentors is, is this thing called advice. And I have this like thing where I never advise anybody what to do or say you should do this or whatever. One, um, there's no possibility in any way, shape or form that you can possibly understand in a short time the context that a person faces in their leadership role. Um, and when people give advice, they normally give advice from their own frame of reference, which isn't the same. And the other thing is that a lot of advice that's received, there'll be a whole lot of barriers to it. Like, for example, people have, uh, it'll be emotionally uncomfortable for someone to go to that place. So they'll have to say, well, that advice must be bullshit because, you know, whatever, feel badly about it or whatever. Um, the other thing is the person who's receiving advice most likely is getting 10 different com conflicting 
loads of advice from 10 different contexts and 10 different unrelated people, right? So what you've got to do, understand, is that the mentee is responsible for the design of their own leadership, okay? And it's an intensely personal thing for them. And it's going to be a function of where they are at and what comfortable and emotional, you know, being they are. And it's going to be um, a function of the particular situation they're in and, uh, and, and, you know, their strengths and weaknesses and their people and other resources around, all sorts of things which you can't possibly hope to know, right? So um, the way that we manage these mentoring sessions is that behind the session is a kind of framework um, which is, is what I call an axiomatic framework. So just all that means, fancy word, it just means that it's a framework nobody can argue with. It's like completely obvious um, to anybody that it's true, right? And... So what I need to do in those sessions, I need to be able to be a super amazing listener. And when you're a super amazing listener, what you're doing is you're not interpreting what you're hearing. You're just trying to hear it as it is. And you're also not just listening to the words, you're also listening to the body language and the, you know, the different reactions between people in the room and all that. But you can't possibly listen to that level of complexity without something to organise your thoughts, right? And that's what I mean about this model. So I've quite a a, um, you know, a model I've refined over the last 15 years. Um, it's actually a model that's taken from the, um, the discipline of design. Okay, so we say, well, as a leader, what we're doing, really, we're kind of cheap at design as a leader. And what we're doing is we're sort of making design decisions around our leadership all the time. And um, so... Uh, I, I, we haven't got time probably now to talk about the model, but what I'm doing when I'm listening to the situation is one thing I'm doing a lot of listening, but what I'm also doing is going, well, you know, where does that sit, that person in the model? You know, because what I want to do, it's always in my mind, is I want to be able to leave that person with a breakthrough, okay, in their leadership. Because what happens when you have a breakthrough is it's incredibly rewarding. If I, can, if I can help someone have a breakthrough and they're thinking get to a new level of performance, that's a highly rewarding mentorship session, right? And the thing is everybody's at a different path on their path and they've all got different pressures. So what's really important for me is to listen hard enough to know where's the likely breakthrough for this person, okay? Now, the other thing is that we're mostly going to, we're most likely going to be talking about uh, things you know, that are logical and, you know, you can sort of demonstrate that here's some design choices you have and, and you might have um, some choices that you know, but there's these ones you don't know about. And, and here's a way of thinking about what design choice might be better for you. Right? You can do that. But also you've got these emotional issues, like with people trying to deal with leadership problems that are uh, beyond their emotional capacity to deal with, right? Like they're actually fearful. Of the outcome, and in that situation, it doesn't matter how much logic you deliver. It's the it's the emotional fear that is in the way, right? So, what I'm looking to do is go well, look. Where's the access point for breakthrough? And if there's an emotional fear issue and everything in there, then um, the focus has to be on that. Because if someone's emotionally fearful, um, there's no amount of 
you know, coaching on design choices about where you are in your situation that's going to help. Um, but so I use a number of techniques um, in the um, um, in the sessions, which I think are really, really important. You know, one thing is I never judge people. Like I, I, I always want to talk to them like it's a peer-to-peer. In other words, I'm not saying I'm an expert, you know, so look at me, how good I am, this is what I'm doing, um, this is what you should do. I'm saying, you know, clearly I bring something to the table that's different to you, but what you've got at the table is different to me. I don't possibly know what your situation and context is. But when we get together, we're going to find some cool things together that are new and different, you know, and could be a breakthrough, right? And um, uh, so no judgment. I'll, I'll spend a lot of time up front making it safe for that person, right? Even to look bad, I'm not going to, there's going to be no judgment. I use humour. Well, it depends on the person. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. And, um, and uh, if we, I kind of assume that everybody has quite a high a level of emotional attachment to what they do and their own competence and their own feelings as a, as a, as a leader or a technical person or whatever. Um, so what I find is it's not the advice that helps, but asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. And you'd be amazed power of a well-targeted question. Right? And what I'm looking to do is I'm trying to get the person to discover the solution for themselves, yep. but what I'm really doing is just asking the right question. Yep. You know, I might tell some anecdotes that are relevant to a long career doing work shitty things, you know, so I've got some good anecdotes that'll um, help and and what that does is it allows them to look at situations that are analogous to the situations they're in, but in a detached way. It's like, okay, that gets me away from my emotional fear and I can see this analogous situation, what happened, and I can see that the guy I'm talking to is still alive and perfectly comfortable about talking about it. So it's not that bad, it's perfectly normal. And, you know, I've got to just harden up and get used to taking shit like this and, you know, I feel okay now, you know. Yep. I've normalized. And, and, and you haven't given them any you haven't given them any advice either or her any advice. So there's nothing to resist. It's just a here's the situation, consider it and it might help. Now with some people, you need extraordinary skill to pull it off. Yeah. Um, now I remember this one guy who was really comprehensively failing leadership of his organisation. But he come in, he's like 75 years old, owns this like $3 million company. He comes in dressed with a suit and he's super tall, good looking, got a bloody hanky in his pocket and all this, you know. And then, and then I get him to introduce himself and it's like, you can't shut him up. It's like half an hour of saying how amazing he is. He's the doyen of the design industry of New Zealand and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, I could see that his company was in a lot of trouble um, because they were just doing some really obvious shit wrong. But it's like having a, in that situation, which is a very extreme situation of mentoring, um, the strategy that I use there is it's like if, if a big guy comes and fights you and you're a little guy, when he comes charging in, you've got to use his own weight against him. And so what you do is you grab on and pull him down even harder, you know? zone facing down, you just duck out of the way. It's a bit like that with this, right? I was like, well, what's your strategy? And he talked to me about a strategy. Actually, the guy knew his shit, right? 
is a totally amazing strategy. And then after he after I'd said that is amazing, that's exactly what I would do, the slogan, and I was not bullshit, it was exactly that. And then I, and then in the last 10 minutes I just said, so what I don't get is here's your website and everything you said, nothing of it is in here. This is all things to all people, like you know, all that good stuff and that great strategy we talked about is nothing there. And then he went and said he's like, Oh my god. Um you know, and then his explanation was that his people had gone AWOL on him and he needed to get in and sort it all out and he'd been too far away from it, which is probably all true, but it was also a lot that was saving his own ego, you know, from this absolute, like, smashing to the ground. <laughs> but I'm left, like, not judgmental. I just asked a question. Right? And he was the one who judged himself. Now, with that, in that world, you can get the toughest customer, you know, to see the light and so as a mentor is a really hard thing to do but if you do lots of it like i have you find you know the toolkit gets sharpened up pretty well you know and um and so that can be really helpful you know if you're super lucky you'll find somebody in your life who can help you and like i I'm lucky in my life now, you know, I don't have to work, um, which is great. And I can spend time on my boat and I'm director of a few things, and, but it's not taking an enormous amount of time and energy. And every now and then, some young person rings me up and goes, look, I'm trying to do this, will you talk to me? Unreasonable request, right? And I say, sure, and we're going to have coffee and... Um, you know, I've got a little posse of people that I might talk to once every three months. And, you know, we, you know, they come to see me with their ideas and they walk out with like 10x of those ideas and they go and give that a lash and come back half beaten up and but excited and they come back for another lash. And I, I'm like, wow, you know, you, I just know who's going to succeed. And it's basically people are super curious and ask unreasonable requests to get mentor and, and get to grow, you know. And, um, yeah, super cool to see. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that is a, it's a sort of a way of thinking for your audience, I guess, in terms of this transition. You know, that's, that's a positive, energetic commitment to leadership growth expressed in going and asking for help from people that are inspiring to you. And um, and then taking it on yourself to go and put the effort in that rewards people like me, right? I mean, it's nothing. No, I find it really rewarding because I like building people up. I find it really rewarding when three months later they come back and go, oh, my God, this is awesome. And, um, you know, what do you think about this? And, geez, it's like no effort for me. It's just, all I get is reward. It doesn't really cost me anything. I'm going to get free lunch, you know? Yeah. Stefan, that, that's awesome. Um, so just to kind of, just to wrap that one around the, the original question, which was a, a leader who's just put a new leader into a new role and what advice you would give to them in terms of helping that new leader succeed would be to, to make sure that they have some mentoring and coaching or whatever wrapped around them to be able to take them on that journey, which may not be you and probably isn't you. Yeah, sharpen up your mentoring skills, right? Yep. Like you just, if you were a leader of leaders, and you're committed to growing quality of leadership in your group, then be a mentor. 
on one. But I also agree with you that, you know, it's like um, bringing other mentors. So, for example, the other day um, there's a, a middle manager in NGT who got a team of like eight people and they asked me to come and do like a mentoring session with a group. And we did that and it was super transformational for the group. Like I'm still hearing people buzzing about it and, you know, it's a super good use of my time. And um, it was fun. I got to meet some people who, you know, are struggling with stuff and gave them some really cool tools. And, I mean, that was just somebody taking an off-site for three hours and getting someone like me there to help them. And you don't have to be super structured about that, but you can, um, you know, just find people that inspire you and bring them in and help contribute to your team, you know. Um, yeah. Stefan, thank you so much. That's been absolutely awesome. Some incredible gems in amongst all of that. In fact, uh, an overwhelming number of amazing uh, bits of information that uh, that people that are listening and watching can can take away and digest. So, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. It's been awesome, and uh, and good luck on your new your new uh, captain's venture. I hope that goes goes really well. I'd love to get you back on the show sometime to talk about your model because I'm. <laughs> completely curious about what that is and how that might work. So uh, thanks again. I think I'm going to while I'm away and try to start writing a book about it. But it's kind of the culmination of a whole career looking at like how do you get people to break through in a much more powerful way. And, you know, I think this design way of thinking about business is so, for a start, not done, and B, so powerful. And because I've done it like hundreds of times and perfected all the little wrinkles, you know, I feel like we've got it to the to the level of um, elegant simplicity, you know, beyond complexity is elegant simplicity. So I feel like I've kind of like polished it to that level now. So now I need to get it on paper and um, you know, do a proper job with it. Fantastic. Stefan, thank you. Look forward to maybe catching up again at some point on the show. Okay. Take care. Thanks, Tim. Okay. See you. Thanks for listening. If you have a friend or a colleague who would benefit from this episode, please pass the word along. If you have a friend or a colleague who would not benefit, but you haven't been in touch with them for a while, give them a call. iTunes reviews are great to get the word out and to help me create the show that's most useful for you. And if you're frustrated or having challenges or would like some help, guidance, assistance with your first leadership role, then check out integrationcatalyst.com in the link in the podcast notes below. Or pass this on to your boss to nudge them to get you the help you really need to cross the doing to managing chasm and get you powered up on your leadership and management journey. Oh, and if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, hit subscribe. Until next time.